One of the really interesting projects that's kind of been coming down the pipe for a while, when we first heard about it, we thought that's interesting, is a G.I. Joe spinoff without there being a core G.I. Joe movie, Snake Eyes. And then we got really intrigued when we found out that Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians and The Gentleman, which we really liked him in The Gentleman, was going to be starring as Snake Eyes. Well, they've now put out their first set of images that have come out. We've now got a full-blown poster, which I got to say I like. It's a good poster. Here we get a good look at Henry Golding holding that iconic you know, Snake Eyes helmet coming July 23rd. Very excited about that. We also get some other looks at it that they put out. There's a bunch of these all over the web that you can get a good look. I love the style of the images that we're seeing. I like the color palette that they're using. Get a really good look at the Baroness, who, I mean, Baroness looks hot. <laughs> I've never, I never pictured Baroness as being that hot. Baroness looks pretty hot. And then if, and we got uh, Samara Weaving as Scarlet. Uh, so we got our first look of that in there too. Now, Rob, I know there are still a, a number of people who are a little bit apprehensive because, you know, a lot of people thought, and understandably so, that, you know, if you're going to launch into a new G.I. Joe-verse sort of thing, shouldn't you start with a G.I. Joe movie? And that is, I admit, that's kind of the traditional way of thinking, yeah. But listen, it goes without question that I think the most popular G.I. Joe character, at least amongst North American fans, is probably Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. Henry Golding is fantastic. I thought that was a really good match on that. And if you can start off this new G.I. Joe-verse, because let's face it, the Channing Tatum one, eh. The Dwayne The Rock Johnson one, eh. If you can start off well with, you know, a solo movie like this, it might be a big win. Now, that of course, that all depends on whether the movie's any good or not, and we won't know that until we see it. But I think it's off to a good start. I like the look of what we're seeing. Rob, you had a chance to see these images. What do you think? Well, I think it looks cool. I mean, you know, the, the previous G.I. Joe films were a little sort of, CG heavy for me and while they were fun I I did believe it or not I did enjoy both of them I mean growing up with G.I. Joe's I I like them but I think they're going more of the Marvel route let's let's build our franchise around the characters themselves so when you do that you can do a team movie you can do a G.I. Joe a real American hero movie or you can make individual films that'll bolster that franchise in a way they're taking a, a cue from the Marvel Cinematic Universe by doing this, by going this route. And and I like that. I think that's that's a good thing. And they've got a great actor, I think, for the role. And, and um, you know, somebody who will obviously bring character to it. It's not just a dude in a mask. They're showing him without his mask. So clearly that's a big part of what they're doing. I, I think it's a good move, man. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of there for it. I, I, I want to see this movie. I'm I'm with you on that. I got especially caught up on it when it was Henry Golding because I've become a big fan of him, especially after seeing him in The Gentleman. He was so good in The Gentleman. Anyway, he was guys, so good, dude. And what so about the trailer? Is there a trailer? Uh, I you got to expect what the normal pattern of these things is when you get on one day dropping of these images, and then like within about twenty four to forty eight hours. So I'm expecting tomorrow. I I, mean, I no insider information. Uh, but I'm kind of expecting that tomorrow we'll probably get a first look at a trailer. Question is for you guys. What do you think about these images of Snake Eyes? Do you like what you're seeing? Do you not really care? Where's your overall anticipation level for Snake Eyes right now? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. 
You know, speaking of movies that a lot of people have been talking about for a very long time and a movie that I don't still, part of me, Rob, doesn't think is actually going to happen. But is Indiana Jones 5. You know, they brought on, they lost Steven Spielberg as the director, but they brought on James Mangold as the director, director of Ford v. Ferrari, director of Logan. He's fantastic. That's got to pique your interest when he's doing that. Of course, they've made some announcements about casting and all that kind of stuff. I still am not 100% sold that they're going to make this movie. But today, even more casting announcements. And this one's actually pretty interesting. We've got, speaking of Logan, uh, a Logan star and a star of Narcos, Boyd Holbrook, uh, as well as Shanette Renee Wilson, has also joined Indiana Jones 5 as this thing continues to move forward and they continue to do additions. I am still sitting here going, I still don't believe this is actually going to happen. But at all signs point to this thing is really happening uh, just in time to celebrate Harrison Ford's 93rd birthday. Uh, anyway, listen, <laughs> I, I got to say, I love Boyd Holbrook. I, I really think he's great. He's got, uh, I'm trying to remember, who was the 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 guy who starred alongside um, he was the star, the male star of Sweet Home Alabama and Josh Lucas. Jo- yeah. He, he's like a new generation Josh Lucas. Uh, not that Josh Lucas is some old has-been or anything like that, but he's like the new generation Josh Lucas. I think he's got all the kind of strengths that Josh Lucas has as well, and I find this pretty interesting. So anyway, Rob, another sign that things seem to be moving forward with Indiana Jones 5. What do you think the addition of the uh, the new casting additions here? Well, I, mean, I think you're, you've got... I like that they're expanding the cast, which means there's more going on, I would assume, you know, in terms of different kinds of people they can meet. And I, I, I'm fascinated by this movie, John, like you, I wonder if it's really going to happen, but obviously Harrison Ford's what? 78. It's going to be 79. Something, something in that neighborhood. Now they're going to have to recontextualize the character. And I'm really looking forward I love, look, I loved Unforgiven. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But seeing like these aging former adventurers, gunfighters, whatever, are they going to go more that Indiana Jones has become more like his father? And there's going to be a younger, maybe a, a team vibe that he's going to oversee? Because they can't they can't just have him in the fedora and, and the normal Indiana Jones uniform at 78. I mean, that. Bite your tongue. Uh, <laughs> of course they I, can. I, 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 I mean, but they they have to do something. They have to. I mean, there's there. I mean, I guess they could, but I I think with James Mangold, I really think with like what he did with Logan, and I think James Mangold is a terrific director. He's like a powerhouse yeah. studio d- director where he just delivers the goods. He might not, you know, he might not be the world's greatest director. But I really think he delivers. And even when his films are maybe not as good as you want them to be, they're always solid. They're always watchable. They're always things that deliver something that's worth experiencing. And from that perspective, I'm really excited about this movie. If it happens. If- <laughs> I know I shouldn't be. But I mean, and look, it looks like they're barreling forward. This yeah. thing goes into production like in June. Yeah, they've got full momentum going ahead now. Let's see if this thing actually happens. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the new cast additions? Do you feel confident that this movie's actually happening? Can they pull it off? And, and whether they do or don't, where's your interest level right now in an Indiana Jones 5? Whatever you guys think, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. 
with that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? It's really simple. You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we should have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Parker Sheldon, who writes, Hey, John, it feels like just yesterday that we got official confirmation that they were working on a sequel to the Sonic the Hedgehog film. But it's just been confirmed via the director himself, Jeff Fowler, that they have already wrapped filming on Sonic 2. As somebody who was pleasantly surprised by the first film, I'm really looking forward to the sequel. In a world of uncertainty, does this bode well for Sonic 2's April 22nd release date? Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, to call Sonic a pleasant surprise is a little bit of an understatement. It really was a nice, pleasant surprise. Mm. It wasn't, you know, one of the top 10 movies of the year or anything, but it was charming. You know, you fell in love with the character. John Ralphio from uh, Parks and Rec, doing the voice of Sonic was great. James Marsden, I have always been a big fan of James Marsden. Even when they horribly misused him in the X-Men films, I always think Marsden is great. And so that kind of chemistry between him and the CG, you know, uh, Sonic, it worked. The humor's great. But the guy who stole the show was Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, because Rob, I remember... I always like hearing Jim Carrey, good Canadian kid, getting into things, but I was like, this sounds kind of desperate. Him playing Dr. Robotnik sounds like it's just going to be kind of desperate. But he was great Mm -hmm. in the role, and he totally stole it. So no surprise they're making another one. A little bit of a surprise that they're already done shooting. The director of the film, uh, Jeff Fowler, did get on social media and posted, that's a wrap in Vancouver where they shot the film. Thank you to all the amazing cast and crew in this city. So much incredible talent helping make Sonic the movie too. Truly special and spoiler alert, epic. And of course, in the background there, we see him got some of those mushrooms. The mushrooms, of course, indicative of the finale of the last movie and all that kind of stuff. And Rob, I got to say, I agree. I'm shocked. Like I I feel like I just heard they started production. But I guess it was a little while ago, though, now that I think about it. But the fact that this thing's wrapped, as far as the question about how does this bold uh, bode for, uh, you know, the April 2022 release date very well. If the shooting's done, they've now got about a year of post-production. And you know they already started post-production while filming was going on. Oh, yeah. So I really think this bodes well. I don't think they're going to have any trouble. As long The only way reason they're going to move the release date is if they decide they have another date they like better. But I, I think we can probably fully expect this. Rob, what do you think about them making a Sonic 2, them being wrapped now, and the prospects of them making that release date? Well, I mean, we know that they can clearly change Sonic's whole look uh, and still make a release date or something if they yeah. had to, maybe with some changes. No, I think this this bodes really well. Um, a lot of people like that movie. I think it was always kind of considered, we all sort of laughed at it when they were going to make it or during production, and they, re, re, they changed the design and all that, but it turned out to be surprisingly 
it's a well-liked movie. You know, and I have to say, I mean, I thought I'd be a little old for it, but I was entertained. You know, I was like, all right, okay, I'll watch it. It's probably one of the more successful video game adaptations that we've had. And yeah, and um, I think, you know, for the kids, John, I think it's going to be, uh, 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 I'm glad that they're making it. I'm glad that means that it was successful. And whenever movies are successful, even if they might not be my cup of tea necessarily, I'm always happy when movies succeed because it's good for all the crews, the cast, and the companies that made them. So kudos to Sonic 2. Kudos to them. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Are you looking forward to Sonic 2? I surprisingly am. Are you guys? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Juan, who writes, Oh my God, the cast of Knives Out 2 is shaping up to be amazing. They are going all out with Daniel Craig, Ed Norton, Dave Bautista, and now Catherine Han. Do you have my speculation or do you have my speculation as to their roles or do I have any speculation as to their roles or plot? Uh, what do you think about this great cast and who else do you hope they get? Thanks and have a nice day. Okay, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, I feel like we've been talking about Knives Out a lot lately. Uh, first of all, because of the historic blockbuster deal that Netflix made with Ryan Johnson and his producing partner for $468 million just for the rights to put Knives Out 2 and 3 on Netflix. $468 million just for the rights to put those movies on Netflix, which is absolutely staggering, staggering numbers. Now, of course, the other day we started talking about it again because Dave Bautista uh, came on board, who's, of course, also right now in Army of the Dead. Uh, and then they move forward and they add Ed Norton, which is a was a terrific ad. And it started to look like it was shaping up to have all the same kind of, you know, cast firepower that the first movie had. And now we got even more. This comes to us from the folks over at Joe Blow who write, After her unforgettable and meme-worthy turn as Agnes in Marvel's WandaVision, Katherine Hahn is joining the cast of Ryan Johnson's Knives Out 2. As the A-list name, as the latest A-list name to be added to the murder mystery sequel, Hahn joins previously announced cast members uh, Janelle Monet. don't forget they just announced her yesterday as well, Edward Norton and Dave Bautista with Daniel Craig reprising his role as super sleuth Benoit Blanc. Uh, character and plot details for Knives Out 2 are being kept under wraps at this time. Production is set to begin this summer in Greece. So, Rob, it kind of looks like this, what's the best way to put it? This kind of template that they set up for the first Knives Out. Get this really incredible talent-packed ensemble that just has some ridiculously good chemistry together, put them into the movie together, and build a whodunit around it. They seem to be going back to that formula again, which is the classic Agatha Christie way of doing things. Yep. And of course, Ryan Johnson always said that Knives Out is his love letter and his ode to the old Agatha Christie stuff. This cast, I'm not going to say that this cast is as good yet as the first one. I mean, you had, you know, Michael uh, Shannon, uh, you had uh, Don Johnson, you had Chris Evans, you had, I mean, on and on and on and on. The late, great Christopher Plummer, of course. But 
I'm telling you what, man, this is great. And I have been trumpeting the horns and waving the flags of Catherine Hahn for years. I've been talking about her. Like ever since I saw her, first of all, loved her in Anchorman, but her role in Step Brothers, to me, like that's the one I want. This girl is like comedic genius. I love her, and I've been in love with her with everything she's done since. Obviously, she kind of stole the show in WandaVision. She was great in that. I love her addition in this in this ensemble cast. I cannot wait to see what the other names are going to be. Anyway, Rob, you heard about this. What do you think about all these additions? The latest being Catherine Hahn, and where's your anticipation level right now for Knives Out Two? Well, you know, it seems like we're getting a new cast member every day this week uh, for Knives Out 2. I can't wait to see who they drop today on us. But <laughs> I think that it, it it it's looking to be like, you know me, I, I really like Knives Out. Um, and I think this kind of a cast is what makes movies like this so much fun to watch. And I love it when, like, Katherine Hahn is a woman who has been turning in great performances for years now. But yet, she wasn't, her name was not on everyone's, lips you know they didn't know exactly who she was and i think when you an actress gets a role like wandavision where it becomes sort of a water cooler role a water cool performance she gets her own theme song she finally gets the credit that she's obviously been deserving of for a long time and to see this and to see her the fact that they've now said she joined the cast it means she's reached a certain echelon of, of actor and it means something now they're promoting the fact that she's in it well-deserved. I think the film can only be better because of her um, performance, because she is a really gifted, deft comedy performer, and which probably means she's great with drama, too. So I can only think that this means that... I mean, I love the fact that they made this Knives Out deal, Knives Out 2 and 3, and then they're just barreling forward, and the movie's going to get made. I love this, John. I think this is all good. They I'm excited shooting, for this movie. They start shooting in a couple months. I'm seeing some great ideas in the live chat, by the way, of other people they'd like to see. Ryan in the live chat, how's this for a name? Because I haven't seen him in a while, and I just saw him in um, – what's the one out right now? Uh, the uh, the John Wick-ish one. Uh, Nobody. One, Nobody. Just yeah. saw him pop up in Nobody. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher oh, Lloyd would be a great addition to something like this. Uh, dude, somebody he just else started a new movie with Shatner. Did he? Oh yeah, that, I remember seeing that. Then Calvin yeah. Patel also wrote in and says, "You know who's got a great working relationship with Ryan Johnson? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be a great addition to something like this." There's that, so another great actor. So many great names you could add to this, but I love what they've done already. Even and I think you're right, Rob. I think it feels like every day this week we're going to get new announcements. Question is for you guys. How do you feel about this incredible cast being put together for Knives Out 2? Catherine Hahn being the latest name, of course, joining Dave Batista, Ed Norton, Janelle Monet. This list gets bigger and bigger. How are you guys feeling about it right now? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Sylvester Harris, who writes, Hey, John, I wanted to bring a really disturbing article to your attention from Variety about Disney's new leadership and direction. 
The article basically lays out a company in massive confusion, the additional, the addition of unnecessary new layers of management, the taking away power from the actual creators and giving it to the business suits, and tension between Bob Iger and the new CEO, Bob Chapek. If you've read the article, what are your thoughts, and could this all be a problem for Disney? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Sylvester. And yeah, listen, Disney, everybody knows i i'm a, I'm a big fan of disney i'm a big fan of most of the studios but i'm a big fan of disney uh, I, you know i'm a big star wars fan big mcu fan all that kind of stuff. love pixar blah, blah blah big fan of disney and they've been going through a there's a massive change underway over at disney i'm not talking about disney plus or anything like that it is the ending now of the bob Iger era mm. transitioning into the bob chapek era now, Chapek won't have the same power that Iger had because not only was Bob Iger the CEO of Disney, he was also the chairman of the board of Disney. So Bob Chapek is going to be the CEO. He won't wield the same kind of power Iger had, but Iger is getting ready to step away. He's already handed over the CEO title to Bob Chapek, so he's now leading the company. And I believe it's come December, Bob Iger will then step away, uh, even from his chairman role. And the transition will be complete. And we've already started to see a number of things changing over at Disney and the way they do things. And we've already seen Bob Chapek starting to put his stamp on things. And, you know, he, you know, a number of months ago, Bob Chapek did that big press thing where he talked about his whole reorganization of the company and creating new divisions and all this kind of stuff. But I got to admit, I've also seen some things I've seen more things I've been critical of, of Disney in the past few months than I have in the past few years. And I've never really been able to put my finger on it. And this article that just came to us from variety seems to really put a stamp on it. Mm. Now, before we get into that article, there's a few things that a couple of things I want us to look at. Okay. And when you look at the, there are four main traits if you want to look at at the era of Bob Iger's leadership, okay? Um, one of them being that let the creators lead. That was one of the big things that Bob Iger always said. He goes, Bob Iger's idea was that when you get into a company like Disney, we're not just talking on the movie side. One of Bob Iger's big traits was let the creators lead. Let the creators create and let that creation lead the way for the ways that we go. And then a lot of the ways that Bob Iger um, kind of organized the company was always done in such a way that allowed that the creation and the creative aspects of Disney. And by the way, Danny uh, Sunian uh, and um, and John DeMoto send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thanks, guys. Um, but the way that we organize ourselves is that creation and creativity is what's going to lead our company. And that was always kind of one of his big things. Another thing that was a hallmark of Bob Iger's leadership at Disney was remove unnecessary layers of bureaucracy because in, uh, over the years at Disney, you always heard about this got axed and this got axed, but it was all part of his overall thing to try to streamline things as much as possible so things can go from conception, whether it's a theme park idea or a movie idea, things can go from conception to creation as quickly and as smoothly as and efficiently as possible. Mm. For, for people who are fans of the MCU, you know, one little sign of this was when, you know, uh, Bob Iger decided to take Ike Perlmutter out of the thing because, remember, the way the hierarchy used to be 
for the MCU was you had Kevin Feige who had to report to Ike Perlmutter. Ike Perlmutter was his boss. And then Ike Perlmutter would report to Alan Horn, who was the high exalted grand exalted emperor of all things Disney movies. Well, I that was problematic. It created problems. Iger stepped in and said, okay, got rid of Ike Perlmutter and said, okay, Kevin Feige, you just now have a direct line to Alan Horn. That's how we like to streamline things. But that was also how he did it with all of his departments. He liked to streamline and get rid of unnecessary layers of bureaucracy. Another thing that was a hallmark of Bob Iger's leadership over at Disney was the notion that, have, here's something wild, put qualified and experienced people in the right positions of leadership. You know, when so when Bob Iger came in and he realized, listen, we need somebody to shepherd our entire movie division. Did he go out and hire, I don't know, some blogger? No. Some YouTuber? No. Some, you know, hostess cookies executive? No. He went out, got Alan Horn, a proven, experienced movie executive with a creative mind, pulled him out of retirement and got him and put him in charge of that. And that was basically a hallmark of a lot of things that Bob, when he was wanted to fill positions of leadership, he made sure he got experienced and the properly qualified people to put in those things. Another hallmark of Bob Iger's leadership over at Disney over the years has been clarity of vision and process. Everybody understood how things were operate how we get from point A to point B, and everybody had a very, very clear vision of what Disney, the direction that good ship Disney was heading. So when you look at Bob Iger's leadership, let the creators lead, remove unnecessary layers of bureaucracy, put qualified and experienced people in positions of leadership, and make sure the whole company has absolute clarity of vision and process. And Rob, as a result over the years has been unprecedented growth and expansion of the empire. Bob Iger has continued to grow and build, acquire, develop, you know, under his, you know, leadership. They, you know, Lucasfilm, Pixar, uh, MCU. I mean, the, the whole development and creation of Disney Plus, all because he let creators lead, he removed unnecessary bureaucracy, he had clarity of vision and purpose, and he also made sure he hired the right people with the right experience in positions of leadership. I bring all of that up because as I started to read this article in Variety, Rob, about some of the things going on over at Disney, it starts to become, it paints a very concerning picture for me at any rate seeing what's going on. Let's go over, and I want us to go through, we're not going to read the whole article, but let's go through this article and start looking at some of the things that Variety is pointing out here. We'll start with this. Now, remember, Bob Chapek and Bob Iger have gotten along for a lot of years, but this now comes us from Variety. The once warm relationship between Bob Iger and Bob Chapek has grown strained, according to four insiders to Variety. This comes as JPEG has overseen a 2020 reorganization that centralized the media's company content distribution and ad sales. Everyone is becoming more and more differential to JPEG, which is the way it should be. He is the new CEO. That is what a transition period is for. Um, 
more differential to Chapek, according to one Disney executive who asked not to be identified. Things are radically different than they were six months ago. The insider noted that the senior leaders have tried to insulate the creative teams from all the upheaval. Disney sources point out that the two have very, Iger and Chapek, that the two have very different personalities and approaches, which some can find disconcerting at times. To some inside the media company, Disney's move last October to restructure its operations elevated the executives who distribute Disney movies and shows over the ones who actually oversee their production. Mm. The first thing this article mentions is the first thing that Bob Chapek has done is that whole idea of let the creators lead. Bullshit, says Bob Chapek. And the very first reorg does is, nope. Get the creators out of the influential spots. The creators are not the ones setting our direction anymore. Now it's the, now it's the more executive types. It's our distribution people, the ones who decide where things go. Basically, the creators aren't our leaders anymore. Let's take that out of the process. They're not our leaders anymore. Anyway, we go back here. This And we, we continue on here. Uh, Disney's move last October to restructure its operation elevated the executives who distribute Disney movies and shows over the ones who actually produce and oversee their production. The shakeup also granted a great deal of influence to a top JPEG ally, Kareem Daniel, who was elevated to chairman of Disney media and entertainment distribution from his previous role of overseeing consumer products. Who's the new guy who's going to be overseeing all the entertainment and who's going to be overseeing now? It's not the creators. Now, this is the guy who's going to be calling the shot over the creatives and creatives and the direction of creative. The guy who was in charge of consumer products. When Bob Iger needed a guy for that, he went out and got Alan Horn who was a seasoned, experienced, and successful film executive forever. And who did Bob Chapek put in place? Somebody who's loyal to him, a guy who is in charge of consumer products. Anyway, it's a very different place and a very different organization, a Disney insider said. Kareem now has huge authority and power. And of course he does. When Bob Chapek reorganized it that the distributions and the business people now have control over the creatives, and now this guy is your main guy of that, he is now the guy. So, number one, creators let the creators lead, said Bob Iger. Screw that. Throw that out the window. That's gone. Put qualified and experienced people in the right positions of leadership. Screw that. Let's go out and get a, a consumer products guy and put him in charge of entertainment. Put him in charge of our studios and our creative. So, in just one year... We're now starting to watch Bob Chapek start to completely dismantle this structure that has worked so well for Disney, put in place by Bob Iger, and he's just wiping it all out. But it continues. Let's keep going through here. The goal, at least on paper, was to have people work more harmoniously across mediums from television to film to Disney+. But the result has left people deeply confused about how to navigate the new order. Hollywood dealmakers noted that the new structure at Disney is uh, uh, Byzantine, which is basically unnecessarily complicated and more convoluted than necessary, adding an extra layer of management into the process of getting processes made. So Bob Iger is 
Let's make sure we have clarity of vision, right? Let's make sure we have clarity of vision and process. But now all people in the industry are looking at this new system that Bob Chapek has put into place and saying it is unnecessarily convoluted and they've added new layers of management, whereas under Bob Iger, it was always get rid of unnecessary layers of management. Make it as easy for our creators as possible to go from concept to execution and all this kind of stuff. But instead, what we see is creating confusing, convoluted, and unnecessary new processes while adding new layers of management. It goes on. In the restructuring, top division heads have lost oversight of profit and loss, basically ultimately being in charge of how their things are going to make money. In the restructuring, the top division's heads have lost their oversight of PL, which has been a tough pill to swallow for the likes of FX chief John La- uh, Langraff and Peter Rice, the chairman of Disney General Entertainment Content, who have grown frustrated that some of his responsibilities have been taken away. That control was an integral part of running their respective business units, given that those who deliver the best profit loss numbers to their corporate chief often had the most authority and swagger on the lot. The creators are the ones who always had that. Now, the creative side doesn't have those bragging rights, which means that they spend money on content while the distribution or business side rakes in the revenue and all the glory. One more part. And speaking of Alan Horn, when Bob Iger departs in December, it is expected that Walt Disney Studio Chief Creative Officer Alan Horn, High Lord Guru of all things Disney movies, will also leave. Horn's departure could be destabilizing as he has been the creative guiding force at the studio for the past nine years. Insiders at Disney say that Alan Bergman, the former co-chairman of Walt Disney Studios with Horn, who was recently elevated to chairman of Disney Studio Content, will be taking the reins alone. While Bergman has been involved in all creative meetings at the studio, many within Disney and in the creative community at large, however, view him as having more of a business acumen than artistic sensibilities. He previously held a number of operations and finance roles. This is your guy replacing Alan Horn, a guy who's been responsible for finance. And people also wonder if the job, which now includes developing projects for streaming outlets, is too big for one person to handle, given the increasing complexities of the business. Okay, so under Bob Iger, let the creators lead, remove unnecessary layers of bureaucracy, put qualified, experienced people in the right positions of leadership, and have clarity of vision and process one by one by one by one by one. Bob Chapek has dismantled all of it. He has created a new culture there, Rob, where the creators no longer set the vision. The creators never, no longer blaze the trail and blaze the path. This is becoming, <clears throat> Rob, as I was reading this article, I remember us talking on this show, your words, when you we were talking about Warner Brothers and the AT&T and, and like you lamenting, you know, it is never a good thing when the creators are no longer in charge of the vision of the creation and you get other people now, you know, people who know nothing about the creative coming in and setting the mandates for what the creatives need to do. And Rob, to me, this whole thing spells disaster. Now, much like 
Walter Hamada taking over things for Disney, you're not going to see the changes or the impact right away. It's like trying to steer the Titanic, right? If you steer your car, you immediately turn. Steer the Titanic all the way around. It's going to take a while for it to happen. It's This is going to be a process of years. We're not going to really feel the impact of this for years. Maybe not till 2024, 2025, 2026. But Rob, if Bob Chapek continues to organize and run things like this, everything that made Disney magical, everything that kind of set them above a lot of their competitors at times, everything that made the individual department chiefs like, you know, uh, the chiefs at Pixar and the chiefs at Disney Animation and the chiefs at Marvel being, you know, Kevin Feige and whatever, things that kept them happy and motivated with incentive and drive and vision, that's all being taken away. Rob, I fear that we are going to start to see over the next four to five years a real deterioration and a loss of their place in this market because Bob Chapek, while I absolutely believe a new leader needs to put their stamp on things, absolutely, but you can't just step in and take all the pillars that have made your company one of the most dominant companies on the planet for years and just wipe them all out and expected, let's just, just run this business. Let's just run this business like a cupcake factory, Rob. Let's just act, run it like we're making cupcakes. And I, I feel like they are losing a part of their soul. And so I don't think it's hyperbole to say, I fear Bob Chapek could be taking Disney down a road to disaster when you look at the way he thinks things should be run. So, and Rob, the other thing too is, when they announced Bob Chapek taking over and we were all like, hey, I'm sure this will be great. You know, remember me? I'm saying, I'm sure this will be great. I'm sure they trust him. I remember we had a lot of our viewers writing to us because Bob Chapek used to be in charge of parks, right? Parks and experiences. That's what he and, was in And home of. entertainment as well. And we had a lot of hardcore Disney Parks fans writing into us to say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. All of us who love Disney Parks hate Bob Chapek. To us, he has ruined things with Disney parks. Now, I'm not hardcore into parks, so I just kind of ignored it. I'm like, ah, what, whatever. I'm sure it'll be fine. But I'm starting to look at the way they're doing things here, Rob, and it doesn't look fine. Anyway, that's a whole lot of background and context laid. Rob, you see this whole thing. What's your take on all of this? Well, I think it's a it's a classic mistake. Wait, your your, uh, your audio's gone out. Oh, no, sir, your audio's back. Keep going. Sorry about that. Oh, I, I think it's a classic mistake. You know, I remember when Christopher Nolan's Inception was coming out, uh, the people at Warner Brothers Marketing were all claiming that without Warner Brothers Marketing, Inception wouldn't have made any money, that that the movie was incomprehensible and and that they were taking full credit for the almost billion dollars that, I mean, it was like close to 900 million that Inception made. And And what's so funny about that thinking, what I was thinking at the time was, yeah, like the movie itself, uh, Christopher Nolan's vision and the cast and the crew and everybody that made the movie had nothing to do with its success. It was all you guys in marketing. And this is the problem with this kind of corporate thinking. The people within corporate only exist within the confines of the Disney ecosystem. They just assume that these products that they're being given to sell are that it's not even on their corporate, whatever spreadsheets they're looking at. They just assume we have a new star Wars movie. The content of that movie, whether it's good or not, 
that never figures into any of their 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 corporate calculations because there's nothing on a corporate spreadsheet that talks about the actual quality of the product. They just assume it's going to be good. <laughs> and so from a corporate standpoint, uh, they don't take – imagine, John, all of the people that you need to make a movie great has no bearing on all of these corporate decisions. Right. And they think – we're just going to stick a, a, another layer of management. So the people that are creating all of these products, we have one more person that we have to get through who knows, by the way, nothing about how to make a good movie, never produced a movie, never been on a set, never written a screenplay, never directed anything, never worked in post, no understanding of how special effects are done. But Rob, they so, worked in finance. Doesn't that count? Yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable to me that now – and the problem is everybody within the Disney corporate structure, if there's more money to be made, they want to be able to take the credit. Like they say, well, distribution is going to get all the glory. Well, the people that are making these products are like, look, if you had nothing to distribute, we're the people that are actually making the product that is fueling this entire company. Why is there a Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disneyland? Well, because Kevin Feige hired James Gunn. And James Gunn cast the actors that made the film beloved. And then Disney could then exploit Guardians of the Galaxy however they wanted to. But but with as far as Disney is concerned, they're just the Guardians of the Galaxy is just a product to sell. Right. The fact that it is the kind of product that it is that took hundreds, if not thousands of people to make, and it took someone like James Gunn with decades in the industry to hone his craft, none of that figures on their spreadsheets. What I'm reading now is a – what you just read and this article I read it yesterday after you made me aware of it, it is a classic corporate mistake waiting to happen because while on the, the, the – in the corporate playbook, it might seem smart. But when you're dealing with creatives that are making the product, that the, the making of the product in itself is a whole other industry, a whole other business that, that they don't even take into consideration is a huge mistake. And, and this kind of thinking, we saw what it did at Warner brothers. We we've seen what it, it, it's, it's happened over and over and over and over ever since corporate, since the, the Kinney shoe company took over Warner brothers in the seventies. I mean, yeah, we're a shoe company, but we want to take over a studio. Sure. What could happen? We know how to do that. We make shoes. Aren't movies just other widgets to sell? Nope. And the thing is, John, what's really interesting about this, never do you do you, do you ever hear anybody talk about, well, we hope our movies are good. Like none of this talks about how do we make the best movies we can, whether it's Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm. None of that is in this article. None of these people even know how. And yet they're talking about we're going to do this restructuring and that restructuring. None of it matters if your product that you're selling, which are your movies and shows, if they're not good you people fail. And yet all of this business never mentions it, never talks about we need to facilitate your first order of business should me to be make the best content across whatever medium you're doing, make the best content possible. Your whole business lives and dies on that. But all these corporate restructuring BS shenanigans have nothing to do with making a better product. In fact, they hurt that process. And yet it's not part of their consideration. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that because 
again, it's another very visible juxtaposition because when we look back at the recent big Disney uh, shareholders event that they had where they announced all the upcoming Marvel shows and all the upcoming Star Wars shows, Bob Iger took the stage. And what, what did Bob Iger focus on? He said, my focus is on quality, not quantity. It's not just about churning out as much product as possible. It's about making quality, quality content. And what we're seeing now is that's not really part of the consideration anymore. It's just getting the getting the content out there, not even letting these creators decide where their creation is going. Rob, we've been hearing a lot of rumbling coming out of Pixar, and now it makes sense. We've been hearing a lot of rumbling coming out of Pixar that a lot of employees at Pixar are very upset and very disgruntled over the fact that Bob Chapek's you know, guys have decided to take their films, whether it's Soul or Luca, and dump them on Disney+. Plus. And we've been hearing lots of reports that the people at Pixar itself were very unhappy about that. These were decisions that the heads of Pixar got to make before. It's not going to be up to Kevin Feige anymore when he decides, you know, if we're going to get a movie made, it's not going to be up to him where it goes. That used yep. to be his decision. That you, because he used to follow the part of the creative vision and what medium is it best for. Not their decision anymore. And it's very frustrating as a fan of Disney... To see, by the way, uh, failed journalist and uh, Sergio uh, sent in super chat badges in the live chat. Thanks for that, guys. I appreciate that. But it's it's frustrating to see, and I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to be one of these creatives in Disney, whether you're in the Pixar division, Star Wars division, Marvel division, animation division, Disney Pictures division, whichever division you're in. This has got to be incredibly frustrating to all of a sudden see all these new managers appointed who are going to have power over you that have never, as you said, Rob, never spent a day on set, never wrote a script, never been part of making a movie or anything like that before. Yet these are the people that they're going to have to answer to. And Rob, I can only wonder, how long is Kevin Feige going to pull up with that BS? Not long. long. Not long. I mean, he the, the man is the cornerstone between Star Wars and Marvel. They're building, literally building Disney Plus, which is, of course, the thing that everyone's pointing to. That what their new subscriber counts, what, 103 million subscribers or something now? Yeah. It's it's amazing to me that within the corporate ranks, of course, it's all they're doing. When really, as we've talked about on this show, it's the the only thing that provides growth for you is the content is the new product that you guys put out. That's it. And the product that you put out has nothing to do with your corporate structuring, nothing. And it's just, and by the way, that's, that's the push pull of the entire entertainment business studios that become owned by larger and larger corporations never take into account the fact that what you're doing when you're dealing with a studio is it's only as good as the creators that are making the content under those studio heads. That's it. And and the fact is, why would why should Kevin Feige after 13 years of success even have to deal with this? You know, he should be at the top going, "You'll take what I give you and you'll do what I say." Done. No more management, none of this BS. We'll tell you when we're going to give you our show to launch. You do what you do. But I and, and that's that's I mean Kevin Feige is the man, and and he even said in this article, I think they mentioned he doesn't want to run Lucasfilm. No, he's got plans for Marvel because he's built the most successful entertainment franchise 
in history. In history. And getting rid of Ike Perlmutter was a, a, an impediment to that. Bob Iger made sure that no more impediments. Kevin Feige does what he does. And yet all of these people can play on and everyone's trying to backbite in the little corporate structure of Disney and they'll do what they do. But really, they don't need any of those people. <laughs> you know, they really don't. And and they they need they need their creators. They need Pixar. They need Marvel. They need Lucasfilm. They need the people that are making things for National Geographic or whatever. All of this other stuff. You read these articles. None of these people matter. They're yeah. all replaceable. They can all go away tomorrow, and they'll hire yet some other corporate person, some other Ivy League educated person. Who, I've worked in product placement for whatever big company, uh, whatever, and now I'm going to head up this. And and of course, everybody loves the fact that they're going to interact with people in the movie business. It's all ridiculous, and it is all the it, it is the entirety everything wrong with corporations was in in this article. So dumb. And here's the funny thing. Disney has been doing it differently and they've been winning. I, I, I would understand if they've been doing it differently for all these years under Bob Iger and it wasn't working, then yeah, do it like the more traditional corporations do it. But they've been doing it differently than the other corporations. They've been doing it differently than Warner Brothers or Paramount or Sony Pictures. And they've been kicking their asses. But so what do we do? Well, let's start doing it like they do. I, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And remember, guys, this, we're not about to see Disney burn to the ground tomorrow. I mean, Bob Iger's influence, it's still going to be Bob Iger's Disney for the next three or four years, really, because it takes a long time for a lot of these changes to start taking effect. Don't forget, Disney Plus is Bob Iger's idea. This was Bob Iger's baby. This is his thing. But I, I just worry, as a big fan of Disney, mm -hmm. I am a fan of Disney, but I just worry that three, four, five years from now, the things that once made Disney so successful and so magical are going to be gone. And I'm really worried about that. And I'm very concerned about the Bob Chapek thing. And it, listen, I've never bet Bob Chapek. Uh, I talked to somebody I knew at Disney who said everybody likes Bob, but not everybody's totally confident about the new Bob, but everybody likes him. So I don't know, uh, maybe Bob Iger doesn't like him anymore, according to this article. Anyway, guys, that's a whole, this is a huge issue to chew through. But anyway, guys, question is for you. You hear a lot of stuff being talked about in Variety's article and hear what's going on there. You're seeing the different structure changes that are being made. What do you guys think about all this? Maybe you feel it's much ado about nothing. Maybe you're worried like me that this could lead to a lot of problems four or five years down the road. It won't happen overnight, but I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down, let's move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And how do you get a live comment or question on the show? Once again, it's simple. Just go into the description of this video. You'll see a tip link. Click on it there, or you could enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's right for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. Okay, let's get on over and start getting to this. First up comes to us from K Major who writes, Knives Out 2 is looking to uh, Knives Out 2, let me try this again, uh, is looking to assemble fantastic cast thus far. Uh, Janelle Monet, now Catherine Hahn, cannot wait. Absolutely. I love what they're doing with this. I remember when the first Knives Out was being put together, how exciting that cast was. I get that same feeling again. I can't wait to see what the next name is, K Major. Uh, Ishmael Montoya writes, John, can we please have a pregame show for every Loki episode? Take care. No, I won't be doing when Loki starts. We will obviously be doing the spoiler discussion, um, but I won't be doing a pregame show like for episode one because there's nothing to pregame. 
right? Like we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> so there's nothing to pregame. Maybe we'll start uh, with pregaming in episode two. So we might start up the pregame show for episode two. Um, next up, uh, where are we at here? We are at Justice for Han writes, my local theater has been showing every Fast and the Furious movie leading up to Fast 9, and tonight is the most underrated and flawless Tokyo Drift, hashtag Justice for Han. I can't stand that movie. I think that movie's terrible. But you you like that movie, right, Rob? Dude, the Drift rules. What are you talking about? <laughs> that movie's awesome. Yeah. And, and it introduces Han. You've got the Yakuza. You've got Drifting. You introduce... You introduce, wait, you introduce Hans RX-7. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, this is, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you like the drift? Come on now. I, I, I we should let people know that actually on Monday, I know uh, Fast 9 comes out in uh, late June, but uh, Rob, you and I are going to go watch Fast 9 on Monday. Oh, boy. Like in just a you couple know what? of days. I, Ah, you're giving me a birthday present. I could have, it couldn't have imagined. Couldn't have imagined, John. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, Rob. Happy you birthday to, to me. Fast when you nine. called me up, when you called me up yesterday, and you're like, "Hey," you're all like kind of casual about it. You go, you know, I've got a, I've got a plus, you know, some people. Would you like to come see Fast Nine, dude? I like busted a gut. I'm like, I, I'm, I was skipping around the house after that phone call. Everyone's like, uh, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yes, I'm so okay." <laughs> I'm I'm very uh, looking forward to uh, seeing it, and we'll be able to tweet about our reactions. We can't give a full review, but we'll be able to tweet our reactions the following day. So keep your guys' oh, that's good. Uh, eyes open for that. Okay, let's get back over to the questions here. Uh, next up, we've got Ryan Loner who writes, uh, This dialogue from Spider-Man 2 comes off a bit differently given the movie Sam Raimi is currently working on. Doctor Strange? That's not bad, but it's taken. That is that is a line that a lot of people have talked a lot about over the last few years. But yes, I'm sure I gotta wonder if somehow, some way, Sam Raimi might find some kind of way to tie that in, Ryan, because it'll be totally appropriate if he did. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit writes, "Ketchup on eggs is disgusting," says the man who eats peanut butter, butter, and mayo sandwiches. Defend yourself. Well, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't eaten that in many, many years. Like since I was a young teenager, I haven't eaten that. But yeah, man, when I was a kid and I ate that. Cause I had nothing else in the house came over for lunch. I didn't have anything to make. So there was peanut butter, there was butter, mayo, and there was some bread. So I just put it all together and I like ate that shit for years. <laughs> I thought it was great, but yes, you are a blight on humanity. If you put ketchup on your eggs. All right, next up, Chuck, the mystery writes, Hey, John and Rob with Superman and Lois finally returning this coming Tuesday after the hiatus. What has been your favorite scene or moment moment from the series so far? Uh, also, over under 40%, Jonathan will develop powers by the end of season one. Thanks. I, Rob, I don't know. Have you, I can't remember, have you started watching Superman and Lois yet? Yes. Yes, oh, I so have. Are you caught up? I'm, I've watched five episodes. Okay, so I think I think you're all up. Like, So what's your thoughts on, I've been, I have been incredibly Dude, pleasantly surprised by it. You know, I mean, obviously, I worked on Superman Returns, and one of the things I always thought about that movie was the idea of Superman having kids is a way to, the big problem with the Superman story is how do you tell a Superman story where an antagonist, you know, is, is as powerful as Superman? That's the big problem. But it doesn't matter how much power he has, it doesn't make him a better father. So the fact that they've added this, you have a superhero story, but you also have an inherently great story is how does a father be a good father to his kids? 
and a good husband to his wife. And when you're Superman, it makes that even more interesting. And I think the juxtaposition of of the, the Lex Luthor story and the Superman being a father and moving back to Smallville and all that, I think it's been pretty damn wonderful, to be honest. And I I think the acting is pretty terrific. I like the family dynamic. And I think that they've done a really good job balancing out these superheroics, especially with the manifesting power of one of the kids. I think it's been... I, I've been pleasantly surprised. It's by far, I think, my favorite CW show of all. Uh, it's It's been really good. I, As far as my, any scene where Clark, remember, Clark is the Superman. He is the God man. And I'm always taken whenever he seems helpless as a parent. Like he's trying so hard to do something right with his son and he realized he just botched it and he doesn't know what to do. And there's something about that dynamic that works really well for me. As far as whether or not the other brother will develop powers, I'm going to go under 40. I would probably say over 20, but I'll go under 40 because they may want to save some of that for a second season uh, if that does come around. All right, next up, we've got uh, Check the Mystery also writes, where to go? There it is. When the announcement was made about the new Superman movie, I love the optimism you had about that still leaving the door open for Henry Cavill to return in the main continuity as Superman. One one more over under for you. 20% on the likelihood of that. Thanks. Yeah, so Rob, if you remember, one of the things that I was excited about uh, when they were announcing the new Superman movie and the fact that they were going to try doing a black Superman and stuff like that, one of the things that got me excited was the fact that, well, then then clearly they're not replacing the Superman we have in the current DCEU because this right. will be something different. This will be like Robert Pattinson's Batman. It's going to be off in mm-hmm. a different universe thing, which means, theoretically speaking, the door is still open for Henry Cavill to play the DCEU version of Superman still. Doesn't mean they will. But you guys know my affinity for Henry Cavill as Superman. He's my favorite Superman of all time. Uh, over under 20%, I would say over 20%. Not 50%, probably not even 40%. But I would say over 20 I might, I might peg it at around 25%. I give it a one in four chance uh, that I still have some hope. Now, again, that means it's unlikely, but I think a one in four chance that we still get Henry Cavill as Superman. So I'm going to go over 20%. Rob, over under 20% that you think we see Henry Cavill as Superman again. I agree with you, man. I'm going to go over because I think that Henry, you know, Warner Brothers used to be in the Henry Cavill business. They made Man from Uncle with him. They did Superman with him. By the way, he was wonderful in both movies. In yes, Man of was. Steel and, and, and Man from Uncle. I think, and of course, people love him in The Witcher. And I think he's an actor that that is just, he's, people, audiences love the guy. And yet, that, that, that has yet to translate to box office success. But I think as an actor and as somebody who can embody a role, I think he does a great job. I think Warner Brothers was foolish not to make Man of Steel 2 or just make a movie they've never made. If they made the movie Superman, there's never been a movie just Superman. There was Superman the movie, but they've never made a just a Superman movie. Henry Cavill should get to be in that movie. I agree. All right. Next up, uh, Caleb writes, uh, thoughts on the NFL schedule. Week four tickets for Bucks at Pats. That's going to be the game of the year that everybody's going to be talking about. Tom Brady going back to play against the Patriots are already 
$1,500 for the nosebleed seats, $3,500 a ticket if you want to see what's going on. Planning on road tripping to Phoenix for the Cards, Colts, Christmas Day, going to be crazy season. Well, I'll tell you what, the one game for me, obviously because to me, Tom Brady is the GOAT, the game for me that I'm very, very uh, looking forward to, because I believe it's going to be in L.A., is the Rams versus the Bucks. So to see the local, the Los Angeles Rams playing Tom Brady, the GOAT, and the Bucks, that's the game that's on my radar. That's what, by the way, the Bucks are opening up against the Dallas Cowboys. So that's going to be an interesting game opening week as well. So yeah, I thought the schedule looked very, very interesting, Caleb. All right, next up, Suthius writes, Hey guys, Universal's Islands of Adventure opened a new ride called Velociraptor in the Jurassic Park World section of the park. The story is that Claire, Dallas Howard, uh, to the dismay of Owen Pratt, actually built a coaster uh, coaster in the, in the, let me try this again, to the dismay of Owen, Chris Pratt, actually built a coaster in the, in the Jurassic World Park. Uh, in the queue, you're met with four Velociraptor animatronic heads, same as the ones uh, in the movie when they're caged up. Uh, B.D. Wong has a new scene in the queue. Oh, that's cool. And majority of the ride is actually in pretty much an oversized Velociraptor containment unit, which sounds fun. But what that does highlight for me, Rob, is something that has been something I've seen more and more at Disneyland and at other parks, which is... When you've got to stand in line for these rides, make the, the line and the weight a part of the attraction. Yes. And you're right. I've, I've been more and more rides. I've been going to like Universal uh, Park here in Hollywood as well. There are some of the rides you go through where they're like, they have all this stuff going on as you're going through. At, the, at Star Wars Land, at Disneyland, as you're waiting in line to get the Millennium Falcon, you're going through, oh, you got all this cool stuff to see and do. I love that because they start to realize people are sometimes waiting in these lines for hours. Make something entertaining for them while they're doing it. It's a great trait. So I did not, I've not heard about this Velociraptor ride, but I am seeing that Rob, me and Ann already got our tickets for two days at Disneyland uh, as it's reopened. We're very excited about that. I'm just curious, Rob, because I don't know if I've ever asked you, what's your favorite theme park ride, whether it's at Disneyland, Universal, whatever, what's your favorite one? Well, first of all, I, I just want to point out that one of the great things about um, at, at, at Disneyland, well, in California Adventure is the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. And, and they, loves that. They do a phenomenal job in that ride of incorporating, like when you get into the actual building of uh, offering, there's video, there's animatronics. You really feel that you're immersed in that world of the collector as you're going through. And I think they do a fantastic job. I, I mean, I have to, this is an old standby, but I think because it does so well, I love star tours and, <laughs> and I was there when it first, you know, I was a lifelong star Wars fan, but now they've really refined it with the different, you know, there's so many, whenever you go on star tours, it used to be the same ride all the time, but now they, there's different, uh, star tours films that they've made. The, the coordination between the, um, the, um, the way that the the simulator moves and talk about, I mean, I love walking through and seeing R2 and 3PO and all the different worlds in the Star Wars universe. I mean, what we were talking about, Star Tours has always done a great job of that. And I I love Star Tours. I love it. Uh, I got to say, for me, it's still the Indiana Jones ride. 
It's such it's a simple ride, but again, it's an experience even just standing in line. You're going through the caves and yeah. things like that. It's just it's just a fun time. I love I love um the uh I, I do I love the Indiana Jones ride. That's still my favorite. All right, let's keep going here. Next up. Um, so that was anonymous. Oh no, no, that was Suthias. Okay. Anonymous writes. I've seen a few snippets about a Stargate reboot uh, floating around. Did you ever watch Stargate or any of its iterations? And if you did, thoughts? It was my childhood favorite, a good mix between adventure, history, fantasy, and sci-fi. And by the way, Welsh Dynamo 95 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, man. Um, I loved the original Stargate series. It, Rob, this is going to sound weird. The original Stargate series never quite lived up to the incredible mythology they built around it. Cause you when really you sit down and go through their expansive mythology of how everything in that universe works. The show was never quite as good as the mythology it was taking place in, but it was still great. I mean, I watched all of it and then I even yeah. watched, you know, Stargate Atlantis. Uh, I didn't really get into, um, the, the last Stargate series they did where they were on the ship. I can't, I can't remember that one Stargate, you guys in the live chat, if you remember the name of that last uh, that last Stargate show, what was it called again? Universe? Stargate Universe? Was that what it was called? Yeah. Uh, Stargate Universe? So. Well, anyway. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that uh, I never really got into that one. I think I watched the the pilot episode, didn't worry that much. I would be totally fine. Uh, I would be totally fine to to see them try to reboot Stargate. Reboot it, though. Like, don't make it the next chapter or whatever I'd say reboot it um, and uh, and go from there. I don't know, Rob, would you be down for new chapters or, or, or another kick at the can at a Stargate? Well, I have to tell you that is one of my big blind spots. I hadn't watched. I liked the movie, but I hadn't watched any of the shows. Really? And, I would have uh, thought you would, you would eat that stuff uh, up. I know. I got to tell you. And I started watching it for the first time because everyone's like, Rob, how can you not seen Stargate? And I felt, yeah, I'm kind of a schmuck. So I started watching it and I'm in the first season. Uh, it's really good. Like, I, I, it's different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I like you said, I've really sort of enjoyed the mythology of it all. Um, I like it. Yeah. Their underlying story is great. And by the way, Connie, Connie Sang sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Connie. Appreciate that. All right. You know, she's part of the experiential engagement division of JBL. Yeah, she is. She absolutely is. I don't I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, so I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna say much. All right. Uh Tyler <laughs> Yates writes. Uh, my Regal opens today. Huzzah! My Regal opens today, and I'm doing a double feature of Spiral, and for those who wish me dead, can't wait. Happy Friday. Yeah, oh, Rob, what a double feature. That's a good wow. way, to, way to go. And, Rob, I actually got to go to a movie theater I've never been to. I uh, To go and see Army of the Dead, uh, I had to drive out to Chino Hills, so I went to Chino Hills, California, to a Harkins Theater. I've never been to a Harkins Theater. Had a really good time watching the movie there. So I'm going to try to get out and go see to those who wish me did today. Sometime today for those who wish me dead. I'm going to give that a shot. And then try to see Spiral sometime over the weekend. But there's a big UFC tomorrow too. There's a big, big lightweight championship fight in the UFC tomorrow too. So that's going to have a bit of my attention as well. But but yeah, anyway, good on you, Taylor. I'm glad your movie theaters are open by you now, man. That's great. All right. BK Dan writes. John, I would have thought your favorite zombie flick was Zombieland. I am actually not a big fan of Zombieland. Uh, anyway, uh, with the line, Bill effing Murphy. I know that's not your middle name, but Bill effing Murray. Yeah, it's it's funny, Ralph. I'm, I actually didn't love Zombieland. 
I actually preferred the sequel. I actually, really? I, yeah, I actually preferred the sequel. I thought Zombieland Two was better, but I wasn't a huge fan of Zombie. I didn't hate it. Don't don't at me or anything. I didn't hate Zombieland, but I, I, yeah, it didn't quite work for the humor. Fell a little bit flat for me in times. The Bill Murphy, Bill Murray stuff was great. The Bill Murray thing was great, but uh, yeah, I actually preferred the sequel to it. But uh, yeah, my all somebody was asking me my all time favorite zombie movie yesterday, Rob, and I said um, it's D- Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the, I think partially because it was kind of a different take on the whole zombie genre, which actually, if you look at other things like Train to Busan is a very different kind of zombie thing. Warm Bodies, which I love Warm Bodies, was really good. But my favorite zombie film, yeah, to this day is still probably Shaun of the Dead. What's yours? It's the original Dawn of the Dead. Right. Romero's Dawn of the Dead by far is my favorite zombie movie. I should have remembered that. You've said that a number of times. I should have remembered that. But there's so many. Yeah, there are so, so many. There's so many. And throughout history, like I love a movie called The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Uh, And so there's so many great, great Return of the Living Dead. Shaun of the Dead is great. And I consider what I consider Shaun of the Dead to actually take place in the same universe as Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Like they're they're the same. They're shared universe to me. That's a very cool idea. All right. Next up, uh, David B. writes. I think I like Jupiter's legacy more than most. My issue with it was that it seemed like act one of the story. They set up the world characters and conflict. Then it was over, uh, was disappointing to not have a resolution to anything. Uh, love the show. Well, thank you so much, David. I appreciate that. Yeah. Again, listen, I've had, I've seen some people writing all campy. I hated Jupiter's. I didn't hate Jupiter's legacy. I didn't hate it. I was just disappointed by it. You know, especially Rob, when you consider the role we've been on, from everything from Doom Patrol, The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Invincible. You know, we've just been on this roll of all this content that comes out being so good. And then you run into something that is not awful, but subpar. And it just, I, I don't know, it just fizzled for me. It just didn't work. Again, there are some things about it that were great. Didn't quite work for me. I know you had, last time we spoke, you hadn't really had a chance to get on board with Jupiter's Legacy yet. Have you had a chance to start watching it yet? No, I haven't. But again, I read the comics and I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I've heard some very mixed things about it, so I'm probably going to watch it this weekend. Um, I, we just been, we've been blazing through our rewatch of game of Thrones. So I haven't watched anything. We're now, we went from the very beginning. We're now in season eight. Wow. You guys are making progress. Yeah. We basically benched it in two weeks, the whole thing. And it's been really, it's been fascinating to watch again. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Next up, we've got uh, Sam Phillip who writes, did you ever watch Mitchell's versus the Machines on Netflix? Yes, we did. I personally loved it. If you saw it, what did you think? Thank you. Loved it. I I, Honestly, I loved it. I was a little bit late to it, uh, but I had a bunch of you guys tell me, John, this Mitchell's versus the Machine, get on it. It's really, really good. So Ann and I sat down and watched it, and I got to say, the highest praise I can give it is that it feels very Pixarian. It feels like a Pixar film. It's got that level of heart and depth to it that you usually only find with the Pixar kind of animation films. This movie had that as well. And it comes for us from Sony Animation. Very enjoyable. I, I laughed a lot in that. Did you have a chance to watch Mitchell's versus the Machines yet, Rob? No, but again, it's another thing that people love. People, do, do you love it? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to use the term love a little bit less <laughs> okay but i enjoy it i might say i loved it 
I, okay. I it's really good. It's really, okay. really good. If you guys get a chance, check out Mitchell versus the Machines. It's quite good. All right. BK Dan Wright. Uh, John, Time to Feel Old, 30-year-old movies, Hook, which is amazing. Uh, Terminator 2, which is amazing. Silence of the Lambs, which is amazing. And one of Rob's favorites, Star Trek 4. Here's the thing, BK, though. None of those make me feel old because, you know, the make make you feel old stuff is like movies that you feel like just came out. And you're like, wait a minute, that just turned 10? I feel like it came out like two summers ago. Those movies, you know, uh, Science of the Lambs, Terminator 2, Hook, they feel like they were 30 years ago. <laughs> those, those are all movies that feel like they came out a long But that's a great lineup, Rob. And Star Trek, oh, Star Trek 6. Wait, Star Trek 6 was no. 30 years ago? Did he say Star Trek 6 or Star Trek 4? He said Star Trek 6. That's okay, true. yes, Star Trek 6 is, is, is 91, dude. It's 30 years old. 30 years old. I mean, it's, uh, that's undiscovered. It, not, not undiscovered. Yeah. It's yeah, undiscovered country, yeah, right. right? Undiscovered country. Yep. Yep. Let's slip, cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Your good Canadian kid is no longer with us. RIP Chris. You Moore. know, Rob, I don't know if you knew this, but you can't fully appreciate Shakespeare unless you read it in the original Klingon. Uh, you know, right? I know. I just, know you it. just can't you just can't do it, Rob. All right, thanks for that, Sam or BK, I should say. All right, next up, uh, Mike Lovin writes: Superman versus Thor's hammer. Superman loses, absolutely not. Thor's hammer is made up of Uru, which is compatible or which is comparable to adamantium, and it's also imbued with magic. Superman is vulnerable to magic. Everybody's vulnerable to magic uh, and can be hurt or killed by it. So, in a head-on collision, Superman is going to get his bell rung. Nope, Thor Stormbreaker is just going to bounce right off Superman, and he's going to say what he said. To uh, Steppenwolf, not impressed. That's what you say. Now again, so so Rob, that question came up, and it's like the way you have As to answer all these things. <laughs> it, it it depends. You know, somebody said, well, "Who wins in a fight, Superman versus Thor?" Okay, let's play that game. If it's in a movie, it depends who's writing it. If a Marvel writer is writing it, Thor wins the fight. If a DC writer is writing it, Superman wins the fight. If I, who am neither, am writing it. Superman wins that fight. He's Superman. So, yeah, the Stormbreaker bounces off Superman. He is completely invulnerable. The only thing that can uh, pierce him is something else Kryptonian. I mean, obviously in the comics they have done different things. But but to me, Superman wins. I don't know, Rob, if you're writing, uh, let's put you on the spot. You're writing a Thor versus Superman fight. Who wins that fight? If you're writing it. Well, I would have to say probably Superman is going to win that fight because Thor would need Mjolnir to fight. And if Superman somehow, because I would imagine Superman is worthy of picking up that hammer. Or and a Stormbreaker. Or, yeah, or, or and he tossed it away for a minute. I mean, by the time, however far Superman could throw the hammer before it turned around and flew back, Superman could probably punch Thor's ticket. I I agree. That's how I see it. All right. Anyway, now we just inadvertently started a whole DC versus Marvel <laughs> fan fight. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, three movies came out this weekend, which left a tough choice, but ended up seeing Spiral. By the way, how amazing is it that we're talking about three movies open this week? How long has it been since we've been able to say that, Rob? Anyway. Uh, three movies came out this weekend, which left, uh, for a tough choice, but ended up seeing spiral. This type of movie won't win awards, but I'm a fan of the franchise. It delivered, uh, as, as far as what you'd expect from saw and it won't win any other, it won't, won't win any over any new fans. I am hearing mixed things about spiral, which is unfortunate yeah, 
Because, Rob, you and I both have been very, we've been very excited about the idea of Spiral. I think the trailers have been great. Uh, I love the story behind how it got made. But I'm hearing mixed things. And then I, so last night, obviously, I went to go see Army of the Dead. I had to choose between seeing Spiral today or For Those Who Wish Me Dead. I'm choosing For Those Who Wish Me Dead because Tyler Sheridan. Uh, but I am going to see Spiral. But yeah, I'm hearing mixed things. You're hearing, I don't know, where's your anticipation level right now, Rod? Because you and I have both been hearing mixed things about it. Well, first of all, I love the fact that it's they've talked about it being very seven-esque, like a police procedural, more like seven. And I, I like that idea. And I it, it sounds intriguing to me. I just you know, saw I honestly think, John, that one of the great trilogies that nobody ever talks about is Saw One, Two, and Three. And Darren Bowsman directed two and three. And I I I really like those three movies. They work really well together. Then of course they made four, five, and six. And people talk about six being actually a pretty good Saw film. And then there's Jigsaw and Saw 3D. And but I I like and I like the original movie quite a bit. So I want this movie to be good. I like this franchise for what it is. And it looks like they've from all from all uh, uh, what people have said, they spent a lot more money on this. It, it's I'm it, it, a lush production. I, I hope it's great. And I just love the idea that it was Chris Rock who came up with the premise for this movie and that he went and approached Lionsgate. Yeah. You know, and got Sam Jackson to be in it. I think that's awesome. I I love I love the idea of how this movie got made. So I'm I'm rooting for it. I want it to be terrific. All right. Next up, we've got Clay Woodley who writes, looking at all the big movies coming out this year, the only ones I think that have a chance at a billion dollars are Fast Nine, Black Widow, No Time to Die, and Spider-Man. Even with the pandemic, do you think any of these movies have a chance at a billion? Okay. The key word in that question is chance. Do any of them have a chance at making a billion? Yes. I think there is a chance. I think there is a chance that fast nine could make a billion. Um, uh, black widow. I don't believe, uh, you know, black widow doesn't have a chance of making a billion because they made the decision to also have it on Disney plus. So I think that kind of neuters any hope that black widow has, has of making a billion at the box office. Spider-Man, possibly. Um, I still think I still think Dune has a chance, depending on the marketing campaign they do for it. it the Dune is all about the marketing campaign. Uh, and once word of mouth starts going, maybe. But Rob, chance is different from do I actually think any of them will? And I, I if I had five dollars to bet, I would guess that they're not going to. There's just still too much. I mean, it's getting better, but yeah, I, I I just don't see any movie this year hitting that billion dollar mark. A chance? Yes, it is possible. No time to die. People have been really waiting for this one to come for a long time. Um, all that kind of stuff. So a chance, several of them, not Black Widow, but, uh, but will they? I'm going to guess no. If I had to say one would, like if uh, if an angel appeared to me and said, hey, John, one of these movies does make a billion. Which one do you think it is? My guess is actually going to be No Time to Die. I think No Time to Die would be my guess. But honestly, I don't think any of them. Rob, do you think any of them have a chance? Do you think any of them will? And if you knew one was, which one do you think would be the one to do it? 
Well, I mean, I would say that the one that's going to be released latest in the year that gives more theaters yeah. a chance to open yeah. up. So I think you might be right in terms of No Time to Die. I mean, look, I think Fast 9 could certainly do it because the Fast movies are do well around the world, especially in places like China. Um, it really depends. I mean, how, it really depends on how many theaters are open. But all of those are are pretty good bets. I just don't see Black Widow making a billion. Um, but it could. You know, it just is a question of the venues. If it but, wasn't for the fact that they're also putting it on in Disney Plus, though, so that's yep. going to take away a certain percentage a of lot. people going to the theater. Yeah, so I just don't see that being possible. No, but I, I look, I think you're right. No time to die. Now, again, it has to be good. Yeah. It has to be good, and, I, and I'm really pulling for it. I obviously desperately want it to be good as a Bond fan. I, I mean, I can't believe that there is a James Bond movie that has been completed for over a year that I haven't seen. I mean, it's weird to me that we live in that world. Yeah. But here we are. And I, I want it to be great. I want it to be the best of the Craig movies. I'm hoping for that. So maybe it would make a billion dollars. But again, it really is going to be dependent on it's hard to say right now because all of those movies in a normal situation would probably be a good bet to earn a billion dollars. But obviously we're in a situation that's still in flux. I mean, people, they, they think they have a, a Asian countries have they've had uh, COVID resurgences and things like that. We just don't know where we're going to be. So it's hard. It's hard to give a real informed opinion until like, what is the week? The week we're going into the opening of these movies, I think then we could guess to know what the COVID situation is around the world. But I'm hoping, you know, as, as America is opening back up, it can only be good. Yep. And I agree with you. I think the ones that have the better chance are the ones that open later in the year. So you're looking at Dune, you're looking at No Time to Die, you're looking at Spider-Man. Um, so I think those are the ones that have the biggest chance. So we'll see. We'll see how it all kind of pans out. All right. Next up, uh, F96 writes, are you aware of the fact that on the Spotify episodes of the John Campus show, there are ads playing during your show? Yes, that's how I pay my bills and how I pay my staff. Um, are you aware that uh, on the Spotify episodes of the John Campus Show podcast, there are ads playing during your show? I mean, I'm a Spotify premium owner. It kind of annoys me that I'm still getting ads. Are you doing this deliberately? Oh, hell yes, I'm doing that deliberately. Uh, first of all, uh, first, thanks for writing that in. Let me give you a little bit of a behind the curtains of how this works. Okay. You're paying for Spotify premium. Fantastic. I don't get any of that. That's between you and Spotify. That has nothing to do with me. So you can pay Spotify all you want for your Spotify premium. That has nothing to do with me. I don't get a single cent from that, like not a single cent. So my podcasting hosting provider is a company called Spreaker. And I use Spreaker. I'm very happy with Spreaker. They've done Grace, I, Rob, you've started using Spreaker for your yep, podcast. Yeah, but I love well. it. There, it's, it's a great. great service. Now, when I do Spreaker... It then gives me the option and the ability to put in because they sell ads and I'm able to put in a couple of ad breaks in the audio podcast because if I didn't, I would lose money because uh, I need to pay the bills. I need to pay for the gear. I need to pay for the staff. I need to pay for the guests, all that kind of stuff. And if I put up an audio version of the show and people listen to the show instead of watching the video, then I make no money whatsoever, and I would never put out a podcast. Because why would I put out a podcast if it's taking revenue away from us and our ability to do the show and our ability to pay our bills? So 
when I put up the show on Spotify or on uh, non Spotify, when I put up the show on Spreaker, I then go through and I put in a couple of ad breaks at the end of topics. And then Spotify, Apple podcasts and all the other podcasting services, they pick up on that feed and it has the ads in it, which is how we pay our bills and it's how we earn money. So yes, I understand that you pay for Spotify premium and I'm sure you get a lot of benefit from that, but I don't get any of that. Like that doesn't help pay my bills. That doesn't do any of that. So yes, I do insert ad breaks into the audio only podcast. That is a part of it because otherwise we wouldn't make any revenue and we would go out of business or I would just have to not put up the podcast. Actually, Rob, for years I did. The reason I didn't put up a podcast, this is going all the way back to AMC as well. The reason we wouldn't put up podcast versions of it is because if people listen to the podcast instead of watching the YouTube videos, we would lose out on the revenue of them watching the YouTube. Because when people watch the YouTube videos, we make revenue. If they skip right. the YouTube video and just listen to the podcast, we made no revenue and we would lose money and all that kind of stuff. So when Spreaker gave me an option of actually generating some revenue, not tons, but generating some revenue with the podcast, then that meant, okay, in that case, we can put out an audio only version if people want to listen to that and still be able to pay our bills. So yeah. And by the way, SMJ sends in like a $20 super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, SMJ. Appreciate the support, man. So anyway, there's a little bit of a behind the scenes thing. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I just really need to emphasize this because I, maybe you were under the impression that your Spotify premium payment that I got a cut of that because you're listening to my podcast. I do not, I do not at all. Um, and I don't put in the ads on Spotify. I put in the ads on Spreaker and Spotify is taking in that podcast feed and playing it for you. So hopefully that clears that up and gives you a little bit of insight. Rob, do you have anything to add to that at all with your experience? No, I mean, you know, it's, 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 we're, we're making shows, you know, we're making entertainment. And I think that, um, that you got to think of it in those kind of terms. I mean, someone has to pay for the equipment, the internet connections, the cameras, all the things that we use to make these programs and the time it takes to convert the John Campia show into a podcast, uh, and, 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 and the act of, of posting those shows. I mean, it's all work. It's all work. A lot of people have gotten to the, they think of it not as work, but it is. And I think the fact that you've got, we're using, we're utilizing services like Spreaker to place our shows all around, you know, at different outlets and they need to make some money too. So, you know, it's all about commerce. And I, I, I think that it's a good thing that this is happening. And our audiences, my audience has broadened considerably because it's in podcast, my shows in podcast form. Uh, and, uh, by the way, dragon 10 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, dragon. Then appreciate that. Anyway. So I, I hope I gave you just a little bit more of an understanding of how that whole system works. And I appreciate you writing in and asking about it, man. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening to our podcast, dude. I appreciate that as well. All right. Next up, uh, Boris one, one of <laughs> Boris, one of a few, does that mean you got several? Qu oh yes, they do. Okay. Hey, John, hope you've been well. I have been well. Thank you so much. Uh, last few weeks have been great with releases, so I have some pent-up stuff I'd like to write. All right, let's get into it. Godzilla vs. Kong was awesome. I had a lot of fun with Godzilla vs. Kong. Kong was the star for sure. Mortal Kombat finally came out, baby, and my childhood was made on that day. I love Shadow and Bone on Netflix. I still haven't watched Shadow and Bone. I do want to get around to watching that. 
Uh, you mentioned you were going to watch it. If so, what did you think? Haven't started watching it yet. Jupiter's Legacy both disappointed and delighted me. I went in expecting a by-the-book superhero show with gore. Instead, I got a poor superhero show with lame fight scenes, except for uh, Ra- Raikou. Uh, she was cool. Is that his daughter? I think that's his daughter. Um, like a uh, uh, Walter's daughter. I think that was Walter's daughter. Uh, what delighted me was the flashback adventure story. That was a strength of the show for sure. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad so much time was spent on that part of the story because I ate it up. I also want to commend Josh Duhamel's performance throughout the. Yeah, I thought Josh Duhamel was actually quite good in the show. I did. Uh, throughout the season was great. From his attacks of uh, psychosis and all of his emotional scenes, I thought he was freaking fantastic. They also did well to change. Uh, to change, change my mind all season before that plot twist. Curious to see where they go. And last of all, Wrath of Man. Uh, some of the worst side character acting ever. Oh, I didn't. Th- I thought the side characters were great. Uh, that opening conversation in the car killed. Thankfully, I love just about everything else. Very different movie to what I expected. That's it from me, John. Have a great day, my man. Man, <laughs> That's a lot that was, of stuff. you had a lot of stuff penned up there and ready to go, dude. Um, yeah, you know what? Let me talk for a second about about uh, the Josh Duhamel thing too. One other thing that drove me a little bit crazy about Jupiter's Legacy. And by the way, Lizzie Venus sends in like a $20 super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Lizzie. Appreciate that very much. Um, here's the thing, Rob. So both Josh Duhamel and I believe it's Leslie Bibb. I think that's Leslie Bibb yeah, who is. plays his wife. I, I have loved Leslie Bibb for a long time. I love her. But they did not look a day older than they do in the flashbacks, minus gray hair. They're superheroes, bro. That's but. it. But the brother, Walter, like the um, the Utopian's brother, Walter, they actually made him look older. Like not only is the hair gray and different, they actually made his face, they made him look older. Utopian and Leslie Bibb did not look a day older than they did earlier. Oh, but look, they put on a beard and gray hair. He still looks like he's 45. He still doesn't look like he's like, oh, okay, he's got gray hair. Color the gray hair, shave the beard. He looks like he's 45 again. Um, I don't know, That part kind of drove me a little bit crazy, a little bit crazy. But but overall, I really did like Dumel in it. I really do like Dumel in it. So we'll see where they go from that. Anyway, Boris, that was a lot pent up. Thanks for sending that in, man. Appreciate that, dude. I hope you have a great weekend. All right, next up, uh, Brent Gilson. Right. Saw Spiral last night at AMC Tyler and IMAX. Nice. I've always been a huge fan of the Saw movies, but this was awful. Uh, interesting concept, poor execution. And Rob, that this goes back again to I know what we've been hearing. Like, like even the, the guy who wrote in a little bit earlier saying, hey, I saw it and I liked it, but it's not going to win over any new fans. And now we're yeah. hearing from Brent saying they're not so big on it. Rob, let me ask you about wh- how you feel about this, because. Here's a great example. What was the name of that Russell Crowe movie that came out during the pandemic? Uh, Unhinged. Unhinged. Thank you. So, you know, my favorite actor is Russell Crowe. He's my favorite actor. I love, I love watching Russell Crowe movies. Love it. And Unhinged looked pretty good. What's that? I have him right. Right behind, right there. Oh, oh do you? Let me. <laughs> Russell Crowe that you can in behind your, me. Your Maximus. Maximus. There you go. And yeah. I've got I've got my Russell Crowe up over there. 
He's as next Jor-El. to Shira Mafune as Yajimbo and Tom Cruise as Nathan Algren from The Last Samurai. <laughs> so I like the trailer for Unhinged. I love Russell Crowe. And so I was excited to see it. But before I had a chance to see it, I started hearing a lot of people saying they didn't like it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all my enthusiasm sank. And I was like, because I love Russell Crowe, I can't bear the idea of going to watch this movie and not liking it. And I never did. So I'm wondering, do you ever get that? Because, you know, you and I have both been really excited about Spiral. And I just feel my stomach sink when I hear a lot of people saying, eh, it's not so good. I'm like, oh, man, do I... Do I even want to see it then and have my disappointment compound? I don't know. How do you, what process goes through your head with situations like this? Well, you know, you make, you, you bring up a really good point because look, I, my default go-to position is I want every movie to be great because I know how hard it is to make movies and I want every movie to be great. But when I start hearing people, especially people that went to opening night to movies, that means they're already fans of the franchise. They really wanted to see the movie and et cetera, et cetera. And when they're disappointed, I can't help but feel deflated in some way. But on the other hand, if it's something I want to see, like maybe I won't roll out to the theater to see Spiral, but I'm definitely going to watch it at some point because I like the movies. You know, I like the Saw franchise as a whole. And and when I hear disappointment, sometimes I want to distance myself from that disappointment. And like six months from now, if it comes on HBO Max or some streaming service, I'm like, oh, it's spiral. And I will have forgotten, you know, I in my mind, I will have forgotten what people said. And I'm like, ah, I want to, I want to check this out and I'll watch it. You know, I'll tell you a movie I felt that way was London has fallen. Like right. I love the Olympus has fallen and, and London has fallen. People are like, nah, it's not that good. And I'm like, okay, I didn't, you know, I didn't get it. Now I saw Olympus has fallen because I bought it on Blu-ray. I didn't see it in the theater. I loved it. It's just right up my alley. And I got a I got London has fallen. I forgot. I put it on. I'm like, I love this. It's great. Is it as great? I mean, when it's funny to me because I think a lot of the time people's expectations skew their opinion. But for me, sure. my expectations are always going to be, I hope this is great. And then when I hear people don't like something, when I go back and watch it, I still think, well, I hope this is great. And I try and like things for on their own terms. I mean, even yeah. Angel has fallen, the third movie. People are like, eh. I'm like, I liked it. <laughs> you know, it's just and I didn't. A go lot of see people it. like the third one. A lot of people yeah, like Angel. Yeah. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it 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 comes down to I think, John, we live in a world now where everybody expects every movie to change their life. You know, to be some A-list extravaganza. Now, to me, you're working within the Saw franchise. And like I've said, I love the first three movies and the sixth movie. But I don't expect, even even if it spirals the greatest, even if David Fincher directed it or whatever, it's still a movie that's set within the Saw franchise. So I have to look at it within that, within those, within that box. And I hope I can enjoy it from that perspective. I don't expect it to be seven. Right. I expect it to be an interesting foray into the Saw universe. So I'm hoping it's that. Because I really, I might roll out for that this weekend, to be honest. Hey, man, if you get a <laughs> After chance. After Army, Army of the Dead. <laughs> why not? Hey, listen, Rob, I know we've kept you overtime for that. But uh, thanks for being here, my friend. Yes, and sir. Made it to the end of another week. Have a great birthday tomorrow, man. Have a great Thank one. You. I am so excited for you going back into the movie theaters. Going to go see Army of the Dead. And then, of course, 
We'll be getting together. Well, you'll be on the show on Monday, and then you and I are going to be going out to see Fast 9. It's going to be a great day, my birthday present to you, sir. But in the meantime. I'm not having a party or anything. I mean, Elizabeth and I are, like, going out of the house, and for us, that is a party. That is a party. (laughs) So in the meantime, Rob, where can people follow you and all of your goodness online? Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM, or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, man. Have a great birthday tomorrow, you and Elizabeth, and I will talk to you again on Monday, my friend. Have a good one. All right, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the birthday boy, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, All right, guys, we still got some time. Let's see if we can get through all the questions that came in here today. We're going to keep things rolling here with an anonymous viewer who writes one of two. Hey, John, uh, I afraid that Marvel Disney show, that Marvel's, Disney Plus shows may go down the same road like their Netflix shows before. Great start with Daredevil, then things start to go down from there. I think five or six shows a year is too much because it takes one bad show for the people to lose the must-watch or the event feeling, and I feel it's already started. How they, how can they avoid that? And what are, and what your predictions for their shows? Let me try this again. For the people who lose the must-watch or the event feeling, and I feel it's already started, how they can avoid that, and what your predictions for their shows after two years? In my opinion, they have to take one—they uh, have to take one or two six-month pause in between. I disagree. I listen. As long as you're, here's the thing, anonymous. As long as you are creating good content, that's that's all people care about they just want good content i don't believe they need to take you know six months in between each show if you've got great stories to tell tell your stories and here's the thing the more you bank goodwill the more you can afford a bump in the road here's what i mean by that let's say you're the dceu all right and you've had a couple of questionable movies and you've had a couple of pretty decent ones and successful ones and then a bad one and whatever a bad film can do de- can derail then any momentum you have but if you've had like six or seven winners in a row and you then suddenly put out a bad series or a bad movie the audience is just going to overlook it it's just going to be considered oh I, I mean whatever it, it'll be considered a minor speed bump Whereas if you put out inconsistent content, then every time you put out a bad one, it seems like a bigger deal, right? Whereas Marvel is kind of at a place right now where they've had so many wins in a row. They've got so much goodwill banked with their audience that even if they, let's say Loki sucks. Let's say they do Loki and Loki is terrible. They'll be okay. They'll be fine. Even if Loki is terrible because they've put out so much stuff that has been so well-received that it'll be considered a speed bump. Where Marvel will get into trouble is if like three out of four, like they do four shows and like three out of four of them are bad. That's when they start getting into trouble. But until that starts to happen, I think their plan can work fine. I mean, Kevin Feige seems to have his finger on the pulse of the audience. He knows what'll work and what doesn't work. And as long as they're able to pull that off, we'll see where they go. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, Frankie Gouge writes, Disney Plus Premiere. Don't know why Disney don't use this as a promotion device such as um, such as at least for new subscribers. Buy a Premiere film, get three months Disney Plus for free. Uh, if even that won't 
if even that won't, there has even if that won't, there has to be there has to better hmm. Even if even that won't, there has to better ways to Disney Plus premiere than the current method. Maybe. Here's the problem though. In order to get a premiere event, you already have to be a Disney Plus subscriber. That's the thing. Like, if you're just part of the general public, you can't sign, you can't say, oh, I want to purchase Black Widow. You already have to, you first have to be a Disney Plus member. You have to have your subscri- your subscription to Disney Plus, and then you can get it. And I don't disagree. There could be an opportunity there for like promotion. It's like, hey, if you get a premiere event, you get four months of Disney Plus for free. Maybe there is kind of a promotional angle for that in there. So I don't know. It's a good, it's a good thought. It's a good thought. Maybe that's something they'll try to take advantage of in the in the future, Frankie. You should be a marketer in the movie business, my friend. All right, next up. Uh uh Aventium writes. Uh John uh, rips on my favorite movie, me. That's okay. Movies are subjective. John John rants about watermelons, me. At least it's entertaining. John, I live off the sorrow uh, of widows and orphans, me. He's got to eat. John, I dislike in and out me. Where's that unsub button? <laughs> yeah, I told you, man. I told you. My LA friends and my own wife, okay? My own wife. Whenever, it's a, it's a touchy thing. I mean, some some relationships, you can't talk about your exes. That can't come up. Me and my wife, we can talk about our exes. It's totally good. And some marriages, you know, partners can't talk about money because money becomes a big point of stress for a lot of marriages. Me and my wife, we've always talked about our finances. We look at each other's bank accounts. We, we share some bank. Like, we can do that. It's all good. You want to talk about things that can get my marriage rocky? Bring up in and out Burger. That, that can cause tension in my marriage. Because my wife is like a traditional, you know, Angelino. She's a total traditional Los Angeles resident. in and out Burger is life. in and out Burger is so good. in and out Burger sucks. Oh, and Ann's, okay, Ann's not around right now. Ann's not home. Ann stepped out of the house, so I can say that. I'm not a coward. I'm not a coward. Ann's not home. Okay. in and out Burger sucks. I can say that right now. My, but oh my God, whenever I say that around my Los Angeles, my Angelino friends, they want to, they look at me like I just kicked a puppy. Like I, and everybody in Los Angeles loves in and out Burger. It is crazy. Everybody loves in and out Burger in this town. And I, I don't get it. I don't get it. it it's thin, bland, half stale buns. I don't know, but people in LA love it, but oh my God, oh my God, man. I mean, when In-N-Out Burger comes up in my house, it's like Anne starts packing a bag and it ain't her bag, it's mine. (laughs) She's packing, she starts packing my bag and looking up air flight to ship me back to Canada. I tell you, man, people are passionate about their In-N-Out Burger, dude. They are passionate. All right, next up. Uh, Kevin Kamaki just writes in to say, I love your show. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for being here and being a part of it. All right. Ryan Trabuco tipped in like a hundred dollars. Thank you, Ryan, so much for supporting the channel on that level, man. Seriously. I'm, I'm floored. Thank you, dude. Uh, can't be a classroom tuition. Thank you, John and crew for doing what you do. Happy Friday and have a great weekend. Right. Oh, dude. Thank you so much. It's, you know, it's amazing about 
I mean, let me just uh, interject here. You know what's amazing about this show is that this show really is viewer-sponsored, you know? I often talk about, listen, I know there are very easy ways I can get, you know, double the views. I can do trailer reactions. I can do, you know, when there's something I don't like, make 18 videos about the fact that I don't like this one thing, right? I mean, there are obviously some things that I don't like, and I'll talk about it, but I won't make 25 videos about this one thing I hate. You know, I could do that. I could get lots of views. I could do trailer reaction videos. I know I'll get lots of views, lots of things, but I don't like doing that stuff. I like doing what I do, but doing what I do uh, means that, you know, it, it's really dependent and our success is really dependent on the community that follows it. And you guys have do that. You make it possible for me and Rob and Aaron and Ray and, you know, our staff and all that kind of stuff to do what we do. So thank you so much, Ryan, for that. I appreciate that for the, for the Campia classroom tuition. And thank you for supporting our channel on that level. And thank you to all of you guys who support our channel every day by being here, by watching, by listening, by sharing, by contributing and tipping and whatever else you do. Thank you guys so much for making, because believe me, I am cognizant every day of uh, the support you guys give this show. So thank you so much for that, Ryan. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Uh, uh, Cameron Mann writes, I started watching Underground Railroad by Barry Jenkins, and it is fantastic so far. You guys heard heard of watching it. Yes. Barry Jenkins, by the way, is fantastic. Like, everything Barry Jenkins has done so far, like, he is, what was the name of the guy who directed uh, La La Land again? And then he did... Uh, first man, uh, the one with Ryan Gosling, uh, walking on the moon. Hold a second. Uh, la la land. IMDb. I'm forgetting the director's name. I can't believe I am. Um, la la land was directed by, where is it? Damien, uh, Chazelle. Okay. So Damien Chazelle, uh, directed la la land and he had directed before that. Like he went on to, to do the, I got to look up the name of that movie. Uh, yeah, it was first man. That was the one he did. So anyway, he, he um, uh, wrote uh, Whiplash as well. So there was that. And I remember for a while that, I mean, and he directed Whiplash, got J.K. Simmons an Academy Award. And everybody thought Damien Chazelle was going to be like the next big director. But I'm telling you, Jenkins is kind of taking that place for me a little bit. And it's going to be very interesting to see how his career um, uh, how his career kind of evolves moving forward and see, like, I'd like to see him do some bigger budget stuff now too. Now that he's shown he can do narrative so well, I'd like to see him tackle some bigger budget stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see where that career goes. All right. Uh, not many people bring up Barry Jenkins. I'm glad you did Cameron. All right. Uh, Campy hates the Clippers, right? I actually, I've gone to more Clipper games than I've gone to LA Laker games. By the way, I like the Clippers. I do. Anyway, what do you think is more likely to happen? And what would you like to see happen? Shaq Steele appears in Flash. No. Nick Cage's Ghost Rider appears in Doctor Strange 2. No. Or Terrence Howard reprises his role as a multiverse roadie in Doctor Strange 2. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I have no interest in any of those. John, didn't you like Terrence? Oh, no, no, I did. I I like Terrence Howard as roadie. I think Terrence Howard is terrific. But I have no interest in seeing them doing that sort of a gimmick. Um... Uh, if I had to pick one though, if I had to pick one, I would say Nick Cage's Ghost Rider appears in Doctor Strange 2. If if you if I I'm not a big fan of any of these options, 
But if I had to pick one, I think that's the one that had the most potential to do something kind of fun. There's the most potential there to do some kind of fun if you go that way. So I'm going to I'm going to pick that one, even though it would be none. That's the one I'm going to pick. All right. Uh, next up, Alan writes. Hey, John, I love the casting for Knives Out 2. I know it's a Netflix movie now, but wouldn't it have been uh, wouldn't it have to be released in theaters to be considered for Oscars over under 50% Rob will order snake eyes hot toy if it's announced. Oh, yeah, 100%. He'll get the snake eyes hot toy for sure. Um, it all depends because this year at the Oscars, they changed the rules. Now, normally there are certain eligibility rules that a movie needs to meet in order to be eligible to be nominated for an Academy Award. This year... And under the pandemic, they changed it up a little bit. But um, they've also made some permanent changes. I'm not really well-versed on the permanent changes they've made to the eligibility rules uh, yet for all of the um, uh, for the Oscars. I, they've made changes to the eligibility rules. I'm not quite sure about all the changes that they've made. But obviously, Netflix movies have been eligible for Oscars before. And I can't quite say definitively here off the top of my head if they've been eligible because they made permanent changes to allow for Netflix films to be eligible or if Netflix just did what they needed to do to make them eligible. To make your movie eligible for the Oscars, you don't have to put it out in wide release. You don't. All you got to do is put it out in like one theater in New York or LA where a paying customer can go and pay and buy tickets to see it. So for example... I just went to go see Army of the Dead yesterday, right? And it was in the Los Angeles area. Guess what? Army of the Dead is eligible for Oscars under the normal rules. Under the normal rules, that made it eligible. So that's all Netflix has to do is pick like one theater in New York or LA, let it play for a paying audience for a week, and then that's all they have to do. The movie becomes eligible. But they've also been making changes to the rules, and I'm not really up to date on the changes, which ones are permanent, which ones were temporary because of COVID. But end of the day, they're getting the, the Knives Out movies as a prestige play, so they'll want to make sure it's going to be eligible for Oscars. Uh, not that we know if it's going to be good enough to win Oscars, but I think they'll actually uh, they'll make sure that it meets eligibility rules. All right, Stubble McShave writes, Speaking of Snake Eyes uh, and Blind Swordsman, I recently watched Blind Fury with Rudger Hauer. Wow, so good. Have you seen it? If it's the one I'm thinking of. Yes, I have. But let me just bring it up here. Because uh, I might be thinking of a different Rudger Hauer movie off the top of my head. You know what? I think I, I'm, I'm glad I looked this up. I'm glad I looked this up. This is not the movie I was thinking of. This is not the movie I was thinking of. So no, this is the one that... Um, this is the one that Stubble is talking about. That's a great poster. Man, Rucker Hauer was so the shit. He was so good. Oh, Terry O'Quinn was in it too. Interesting. No, I've not watched this. What A blind, ooh, I like this already. A blind Vietnam vet trained as a sword fighter comes to America and helps to rescue the son of a fellow soldier. Sounds good to me. I have not seen it, but I'm going to sign up. I'm gonna, this sounds great to me. I'll check this one out. Thanks for sending that in, man. All right, next up. Uh, where are we at here? Dad Jokes writes, John, how comfy is your couch? My couch is insanely comfy. It's, I'll, I'll tell you what. So my sofa, I'm going to see if I can find a picture of it here. I, I doubt I'm going to be able to find a, a picture of it um, because I've just got too many pictures in here. 
Um, well, there's a picture of my sofa with my dog on it. Um, oh, here, here's a decent, here's a decent shot of my sofa. Okay. So here's a decent shot of my sofa. So I don't know if you can tell from the picture, but this sofa is massive. Like it's huge. Um, you can, you can literally have four people sleeping on it. Like it's crazy. Now I, me and Anne came across this sofa years ago, like years, years, years ago, like five or six years ago. And it instantly became my dream sofa. Now at the time, Anne and I were living in a little apartment, this little two bedroom apartment, um, in Burbank on Tahunga. And we were living in this little two bedroom apartment up on the second floor. And we decided to splurge and we bought this sofa. It was my dream sofa. So we're all excited. It was kind of expensive, but we thought, you know what? Like how often do you use the sofa? You should, my dad always taught me spend your money on the things you use the most. So that's why my dad always said, don't skimp out on your bed. Because you spend like six to eight hours a day in your bed. Spend money on that. Uh, Spend money on your sofa. Spend money on, don't spend money on good dishes because you never use your good dishes. You know, that's the thing my dad always used to tell me. So I bought, we bought this sofa, right? And then it took like, we had to wait three weeks for delivery. The day finally came for them to deliver it. And they could not get it up the stairs to our apartment. They couldn't get it up the stairs to our apartment. And because one piece of it was so long that they couldn't get it to the top of the stairs and then turn the corner on the stairs. It was just too big. And so we had to send it back. I had to pay a $250 restocking fee. (laughs) So I, I spent 250 bucks and didn't even get a sofa out of it. So had to sell it. Then Anne and I moved into a new place. And once we moved into a new place, I'm like, first things first, time to go back and get my dream sofa again. And we went back and got our dream sofa. And I know none of you care about this discussion. I, John, who the hell cares about the couch in your living room? I know nobody cares about this discussion, but this is very important to me, damn it. Um, so I was finally able to get my dream couch. And yes, my sofa is very, very comfy. Uh, anyway. Uh, how comfy is, uh, getting back to digest, uh, how comfy is your couch? It's great. It's great. While watching the finale of Falcon, the winter soldier with my wife, I kept referencing things you talked about in your show. My wife looked at me with a puzzled expression and said, maybe you should go live with him since you like him more than me. Hey man, it's a comfy couch. Come on over crash. Just come on over and crash. And that's been the great thing about it. We've been able to throw, like, have parties and, like, have been able to, like, have seven or eight people stay over because we've got a spare bedroom with a bed, but we can also get, like, four people on this couch to sleep, which has always been great. Uh, anyway, thanks for that, man. All right, next up. Um, my Comic Planet writes, one of two. Uh, hey, Mr. Campio. So I have a dilemma. I want to see Army of the Dead, but two issues. One, I wasn't impressed with that special first 15-minute clip that Snyder allowed us to watch yesterday. Two, there is a theater I could go to tonight, but it's 45 minutes away. Uh, But I heard the movie gets so much better in the second half, so should I still go tonight? Um, Is is the movie worth a 45-minute drive? Man, I don't know. 
See, I enjoyed it, but I only had to drive like 10 minutes to see it. I had like a 20 minute round trip. You would have like an hour and a half round trip. Is it worth a 45 minute drive? It's a fun movie. It's fun. I, I enjoyed it. Um, like I said before, the things it tries to do that are more than just a, a, a zombie movie didn't really work, but all the aspects about it being a genre, uh, being a zombie genre movie really do work and it's fun. Uh, and yeah, the opening of the movie, if you've seen, you remember the JJ Abrams film, eight millimeter. Do you remember that one? Was it eight millimeter or 16 millimeter? What was the name of the movie? No, I can't remember. I think it was eight millimeter. Maybe it was 16 millimeter. I, I can't remember. Anyway, um, the opening of that movie is the exact same as the opening of Army of the Dead. Uh, and Lila stands. Okay, saying it's eight. Super eight. Super eight. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Robert and Jimmy and Yellow Flash. Super eight. Yes. So you remember that J.J. Uh, Abrams movie, Super eight? The opening to that movie is the exact same opening as, as Army of the Dead. Um, but yeah, man, the movie picks up and it's fun. If that's what you're looking for, I say make the drive. I say make the drive. It's a fun, good time at the movies. Go get a soda, get some popcorn, sit back, relax. It's a little too long. I mean, it does feel a little bit dragged out in parts, but overall, it's a really enjoyable time at the movies, especially for those of us, you know, who've just been looking to get back to the movies theater again. Um, it's uh, it, it delivers on that. And you, I think you'll walk out having had a good time. So you know what? Yes, I'm going to say, go make the drive. It's not going to win any Academy Awards. It's not like some super amazing narrative or story, but it as a genre zombie movie, it clicks. And I don't like a lot of zombie movies. And this one clicked for me. So yeah, I'd say go give it a shot. All right. Uh, let's see. Last question of the day, guys. We almost got through all the questions today, but I, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Don't worry. Uh, we'll get picked up on these. We'll, we'll get through all the rest of them. Don't worry. Uh, just not today, unfortunately. All right. Ben Rayner writes, hey, John, what's great about Superman on TV? We have an option for, let me try this again. Uh, hey, John, what's great about Superman on TV? We have an option for every era of Superman. Pre-Superman, Smallville. Superman current day, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman and the future Superman equals Superman and Lois don't have a favorite order. Just something cool. Oh, that's what you're saying. What's great. This is what's great. We got every era of Superman covered. Yeah. And it's all different. Cause like, here's the thing. I, and I always get people look at me sideways when I say this Smallville isn't Superman. And I, before you, start throwing the pitchforks at me. I like Smallville very much. Okay. I'm a Smallville fan, but Smallville is not Superman. Smallville is Smallville. Smallville is an Elseworlds kind of take on, you know, a different look at what the young life of a Kal-El may have been. Right. And I remember one of the very first big topics we used to talk about on the movie blog, when the movie blog was going and as a matter of fact, the very first topic of my very first podcast ever was about casting for the upcoming Superman movie, which eventually became Superman Returns that starred Brandon Ralph. And the big debate was, should it, uh, shouldn't it, they should cast Tom Welling. Tom Welling needs to be Superman. And it's like, well, wait a minute, guys. And by the way, Iconic Reaction sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iconic. Appreciate that, man. 
Um, it's like, no, 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 listen, they're not making Smallville the movie. They're making Superman. Tom Welling is Superman. No, no, he's not. He's Clark from that kind of Elseworlds story that they told called Smallville that I very much like, but they're not making a Smallville the movie. They're making Superman. And as much as I love Tom Welling, by the way, he was great in Lucifer. I love Tom Welling in Lucifer. But he's he's he was great in Smallville, but they're not making Smallville the movie. They're making Superman. And they are two different things. And so there's that. But yeah, so... And I never really watched the adventures of Lois and Clark or whatever that one was, the one with Dean Cain. I never did watch that one or anything. But you're right. There are so many different iterations of Superman. So many different iterations of Superman. And there's a little something for everybody. So you're absolutely right about that, Ben. All right, listen. There were a couple we haven't had time to get to from Brandon, Jalen, Jesse. Uh, don't worry, guys. We will start off Monday show. We almost got through everything today. We got close. We got close. Um, don't worry, guys. Every question that got sent in will get answered. We'll pick up on Monday's show with where we left off. So just come on back and check us out for that. But for now, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you, guys. And the end of another week. So congratulations, everybody, to making it through this week. May you have a glorious weekend in front of you and then a brand new week filled with glory and triumph for all of you guys. And I hope you have a great weekend ahead of you. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for making uh, this show a part of his day. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.